Welcome to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Putnam, and we're talking to men who, in the face of every adversity, have chosen to take destiny by the balls and create a legacy all of their own. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. <clears throat> I'm your host, Jeff Putnam, and I'm joined today by Michael Foster. He is the host of the podcast, It's Good to Be a Man, a fellow speaker at 21Con. I had the pleasure of meeting him and shaking his hand and seeing the man at work right there on stage, inspiring lives at the 21 convention in Orlando. Michael, thanks for coming on, brother. Man, I'm happy to be on here. Uh, the fact that you are a fellow uh, Spartanburg County resident where I used to live just until a year ago is still blowing my mind. Dude, it's nuts. We lived a mile apart and never knew it. Yep. I live right there in Moore, South Carolina, in the Twin Lakes. I lived in the uh, the crappiest house in a, in a neighborhood of houses that cost like $600,000, $500,000. That's awesome. Now, you're not from here, though, are you? No, I am. So uh, my dad was searching for Mayberry, you know, trying to find – that perfect little town. And oh, he should have kept going till he hit Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I've been down to Anderson, South Carolina. Yeah, it was a way. It was that was way more ghetto than I than I expected to be quite honest. But um, so no, I I was uh, the new kid eight times. I went to eight different schools growing up, about four or five different states. Um, I was born in um Independence, Missouri. Lived in uh, North Dakota, Kansas, Missouri. Eventually, got sent away to live with my grandmother in uh, Osgood, Indiana, 1,100 people. Uh, my grandma uh, immigrated from Germany after the war. She was a Holocaust survivor. And uh, my mom sent me away to live with her. And she, on her fifth marriage, married a correctional officer, retired correctional officer. My, my, the only grandfather I ever really knew, he was not blood, but Paul Peets. And so I spent some years growing up under her uh, tutelage and with a grandpa. I remember once he was uh, re-roofing a, a barn because a tornado hit it and it cut the flesh off to the bone on one of his fingers. And he ripped his bandana that he had around his neck, wrapped it around his finger, kept fixing this. It was a slate roof on like one of those old slates. The slate just slid down and got him good. And then he went in the house and poured iodine on it. And I don't know if you ever had iodine on a cut, but it's like, it's like pouring lemon juice into a cut. Uh, so, so then I, those are the people that raised me. I'm a, I'm a corn loving Indiana boy when you get right down to it, even though I grew up all over the place and uh, graduated from Lawrenceburg high school, which is part of the tri-state. So that's Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, met my wife at a Bible study over in Ohio and, uh, this is where I, I love to, to be. And, but I did my five years down in the South. I learned a lot about the South. Some I loved, some, uh, some I could do without. Yeah. I'm born and bred down here. I've lived all out West and up North and came back and this is just home for me. I keep fantasizing about moving away to Alaska and starting a homestead, but I'll probably end up doing that here. But, uh, you know, the thing that's weird about the South is, um, so I don't like the East Coast. The East Coast is really, really brash, right? And so the East Coast likes to say things that are offensive, but they don't mean it. That's what you have to realize. 
So the East Coast, when they're like calling you names or being rude to you, it's not legit. It's it's a game. It's it's feeling you out. So um, in the Midwest, everyone is kind of straight up for the most part. The South is the exact opposite. The East Coast, the South, when people say nice things, they actually might hate you, and that's like a really hard thing for a Midwesterner to adapt to. Is that like when someone says "bless your heart," they're saying. Oh, you're a retard. Um, and, and people will smile on your face and secretly hate you. And I was a pastor. I was an associate pastor there off. Uh, well, you know this area. Your, your, your listeners won't, but I, that's all right. You go off Reedville Road up there by that um, weightlifting place. Uh, what's the name of that? Talking about 10 Star. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, a church not too far called trinity presbyterian that's where i was at okay uh, yeah i drove by there this morning yeah so um and so in in the ministry context dealing with conflict it's really hard when folks aren't straight up when they're upset with you and they act like everything's fine and you don't in the midwest for me it works because you got kind of the balance of like if someone's not cool with you they let you know they don't just smile and if someone likes you they don't like insult you like they do in the East Coast. So it's like, I'm a Midwesterner. That's kind of my speed. Yeah, that's my thing. Um, you know, lived down here the majority of my life and then moved out West, lived there, then up North. And then coming back, I always have to check myself when I'm talking to people because I'm a ball buster, you know? Um, like if I just met you, but I just can tell by your posture, your aesthetic, your body language, and your demeanor that you're probably a really cool dude. The first thing I'm going to do is call you a prick. I don't know how you survived down there, man. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I think we have to be willing to do in the South. So I came down there and they kept telling me I was a Yankee. I was like, a Yankee? What are you talking about? I'm from Jewish Any stock. Anywhere north of the Mason Dixon. That's exactly right. I was like, I'm from Indiana. I born in Kansas City. I was a... It was a border state, you know, bloody Kansas. I, I you know, I, uh, my grandma, I'm like one generation from the old country. What are you talking about? And it doesn't matter to them. And uh, what I learned, I, I did pretty well because you get a lot of traction with Southerners if you're just playful and honestly bullshit a lot. If you yeah. do that, you'll get a lot of traction because Southerners are always trying to, what they think is that Northerners are judging them. They think Northerners think they're idiots. And um, it, I'll tell you a true story. I came down there. And so up up, up north here, if you have a rebel flag, you probably have some racist leanings. You just do. <laughs> like, I mean, I say that as someone like that, I, I move in a lot of circles. And um, but down south, a rebel flag, you know, it's Lee's battle flag. Um it actually isn't always racist, you know? And so I came down there as a Midwesterner, not knowing any better thinking like, no, this is like all those, those loser white kids I knew growing up that had to adopt some sort of identity to feel powerful. And they, they adopted Lee's battle flag and they don't know crap about crap. You go down to the South is and the civil war is a real thing. Those people know their civil war history. Like they know it legit. They actually know what went down. Yeah, it was fought here in our backyards. I mean, like Nazareth Church Road, where you you know very well, like that's that is Americana crazy history. Um, but these guys know it, and their 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 great grandfathers 
we're fighting for states' rights, and they mean that at their heart. So I, I had to kind of like – I had to like adjust and back off of my anti-Lee's battle flag sort of position and realize that I, I didn't know what I was talking about. And that's the thing about America I think folks have to realize is America is like pretty crazy diverse. And it's deceptively looks the same on the outside, but it, it's not. And and you can offend people needlessly, and, and it's just not worth it. So you just you got to when you move from one region to the next, be a humble student is what I tell anyone. Yeah, you know, part of the the, uh, the difference that we have down here from the <clears throat> the southerners and the northerners, you know, in the the west coast transplants and the Midwest transplants, and um, it's not so much that we think that the northerners are judging us. But the majority of people down here, uh, especially if you're like my family, my family came over here mid 1600s. All right. And we're are all Scots Irish then? That's probably what you are, right? Yeah, I was going to say we're all Scots Irish. Ah, you wild barbarians. I love right. it. Presbyterians. <laughs> and so we're all Scots Irish. And that's actually where the term hillbilly come from. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. You know, everybody who was a Jacobite and supported uh, William becoming the Catholic king uh, over the monarchy in England, that they were still loyal to him. They got here, they lived in the hills, and they were loyal to William, so they were hillbillies. But down here, we, we, we're very cliquish, all right? You're, you're an insider or you're not. And so when it comes to the insulting and, I guess, what you just called the barbarianism of down here, it's it's a shit test, right? Absolutely, so if, yeah. you, if, you, if you come down here and you can't handle us busting your balls, then you're not going to be part of the tribe or the clan or the you know the uh, the the group. You know, you know, like you had these war clans and war chiefs and everybody. And if you want to test someone's metal, that's the price of admission that we paid down here. Is that you know anybody that we were ever friends with, we had to fight them first. You know, if you were going to be a part of our group, it was because we picked a fight with you and you fought back and we're like, hey, you know what? You're cool. Come on in. And it's just the culture down here. What's the name of the fella? Daniel something. Daniel Morgan. Is that his name? Yeah, I actually went to Daniel Morgan Elementary School. So Daniel Morgan, a lot of people don't know this, is Daniel Morgan is basically the dude that brought guerrilla warfare to the American military right like so if people watch like the patriot where mel gibson literally um we're big on wade hampton down here dude wade's is a legit restaurant you want southern fare (laughs) no we're talking about wade hampton wade hampton boulevard yeah i know that one too yeah we're talking about what you know wade hampton and uh uh, francis mary and the swamp fox you know all those guys they, they brought a different form of warfare to America that allowed us to beat the British. And a lot of yeah, people. Well, they fought the Seven Years' War. They yeah. fought the Seven Years' War. They fought the French Indian War. And they learned all those guerrilla tactics from the Native Americans, the Cherokee that were living here. That stuff was a real education for me. I, I didn't want to stay in the South. There's something about your roots, about where you're from. And, and you know, we're like sea turtles. You know, you're like sea turtles are born on some beach and then they. They just swept, find their way home. They found their way home, and if you if you got Facebook friends, you know, if you're in your 30s or 40s, you're like, man, why is everyone going back to our loser town? And 
it's just you go back there because it's you know I, I remember when I was down in the south down in your neck of the woods that um the way the mountains work right there that they kill the storms you know it's a really safe area to live in it's not you guys all had a bad tornado last year but but generally you don't have very many bad tornadoes the storms are real short um you know it's a really safe place to live in weather wise but i just remember the weather was very different than the midwest where everything moves very clearly west to east in a comma shape and i can look at the sky and i know what's going on and i remember being disoriented when i was down in the south looking at the sky and over time i realized just how important where we come from it's just like it's how we know it's, it's how we understand the world and how to navigate. So I think we end up back there, but it also is equally good to be removed from what makes you comfortable and be challenged. And um, I, I was, I was privileged to know a lot of Southerners, so, true Southern gentlemen and understand their ways, understand how they think and approach the world because it gave me another perspective. It made me a sharper thinker. And every time I think I've got everyone figured out, you know, how you have these like archetypes or, personalities and you have these molds you can stick people in to deal with them and i like move somewhere i meet someone and god adds a new one and i realize like i don't know people as well as i think i do and there's like a whole new type of person i need to learn and um and so uh one of my favorite guys down there he doesn't live far from you toby um he is a true southern gentleman and he was a nothing but a blessing to me he helped me with my comic book business i had back when i was in south carolina and uh it, i just learned I, I i would encourage everybody to leave your comfort zone in your i i think your 20s and 30s leave your comfort zone and then come back home <laughs> you know come back home a wise sage yeah know? that's what i did uh when i moved out west i lived in a border town that if i literally looked to the south uh, on a clear day it didn't need binoculars you could see mexico I mean, Were you in Texas then? I take it Texas or California? Texas and New Mexico. Gotcha, gotcha. And so you can just look over and be like, okay, that's Mexico. And I worked a lot of construction jobs, so I work with freaking coyotes, uh, a lot of the uh, what, what they'll call paisas down there. You know, I'd be like un poquito español. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we worked with a lot of them and a lot of more like uh, barrio Aztecas and. Uh, gangbangers that would come down there and if money got tight or whatever they were working manual labor construction jobs and I would hire them onto my crew because they would work but I learned so much about human nature uh being right there on the border um you know recently they had that what was it the uh the was it the vice president or the presidential debate the other night and they got all upset because uh Donald Trump said that the uh, coyotes were bringing kids across and some moron actually Th thought, thought it was a coyote. Yeah, real coyotes. And I'm like, and it, it made me think that like your experience moving, you know, from the Midwest down here, it's part of a reality that doesn't exist unless you actually go there. Cause you, yeah. you know, if you stay where you're at or you, you know, you live in this nice little bubble of your own reality and expectations, and it's shaped the way you've lived and grown up shapes your view of the world. You will not willingly or subconsciously accept a new reality, right? 
you won't. Your, your brain will rationalize it, force you to forget it. It's similar to when someone undergoes trauma and they have no memory of that traumatic period of their life. It's because their brain is protecting them from dealing with it. You know, you see like all the time, um, people who had traumatic childhoods, you know, like, I don't remember anything before age eight. Oh, turns out they were beaten and molested and tortured and abused terribly. And they've got no memory of it because their brain shut that off. Well, your brain does that to things that don't like fit your pattern. Well, that doesn't fit my pattern. It doesn't fit what I see as my normal reality. And so nobody knew what the hell a frigging coyote was. And it's a people smuggler. And people think it's derogatory, but that's literally what they call themselves. That Yeah, they give them that name. I was thinking about this a lot this couple last couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm like, Jesus is the only way. If you don't believe in him, you're going to hell, sort of Presbyterian Christian. <laughs> so, oh, so you're basically just a Presbyterian. Okay. I'm a normal Presbyterian, historically okay. speaking. So I go down to the 21 convention and everyone's like, oh, it's good that you're going down there as a missionary. And I, I do see it that way. But I also, I benefited from the 21 convention, right? Because we, we live in these little ghettos. We create these little echo chambers and, and we don't, we don't question a lot of presuppositions and we don't think very difficultly. We do, there's, we're the, the level of assumptions you have in your life are about a thousand times what you think. Right. And that's just because you don't know, right. People don't know what they don't know. And, um, so for me going to 21 and meeting guys like you and Anthony having drinks, talking, uh, I look at it as a privilege because what it does is it brings a whole new dynamic into my life that challenges how I think about things. Right. And it refines me and helps me stay more real, more honest, and actually speak to the real issues that are going out there. And, I think when you move from region to region, when you have friends that are outside of kind of your, uh, so I'm not a big fan of multiculturalism, but I will tell you when I was a kid, I lived in Bloomington, Indiana, which is IU university. And uh, a lot of my friends were from Korea, Russia, Iraq, because their mom and dad were there studying whatever, you know, at IU. And so we had to, um, we had to teach kids what Halloween was. We had to teach them what Christmas was. And I learned Korean back then. I forgot most of it since then. But um, that constantly being pressed to think about things differently and realize there's a world out there you don't know about, it brings a sort of sobriety, humility, and realness to you that you don't get when you stay in the bubble. You know what I mean? And so for me, uh, I've always been wanting to go out and experience new things and meet new people and, and step back and, and try to look at things through their eyes and, and understand how I can bring the gospel to them, how I can tell them the truth, but also understanding like why these people have legit problems with where I'm coming from, you know? And so it, it is a privilege for a guy like me to go to 21, not just because I get to be there as a missionary for Jesus Christ, but I get to benefit from like, like your, your message. <laughs> like, dude, I can't share your message with most of my friends, like you and your foul language, but I was extremely convicted. I was extremely convicted by your message. I, during the middle of your message, I, I text my wife. I am sorry for not being a reliable man. I please forgive me. 
Right. You're like, you're just out there. You're laying your heart out. Everything you said about, I remember you said like your wife, you <laughs> like you and your wife are having sex one, one moment. The next moment she's living with you in a hotel or a motel. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing. These women, we win and they, they're along with us on this uh, adventure. And sometimes the adventure is pretty piss pathetic. Right. And, and everything we're saying was, I was resonating with, and I was like, yeah, yeah, words are vows. You know, Ivan said that. And I, I found myself really challenged. And so I, I just think people need to be able to move in and out of their bubbles, out of their echo chambers. And if you don't, you are going to stay immature and you're not going to grow. So I've benefited from you. You've ministered to me. You've made me a better man. Um, you've been helpful to you've ministered my to my children to my wife by challenging me to be a man who keeps my word who's reliable and so it's super weird as a christian pastor to go to 21 and have people who aren't even professed christians help you grow as a man and so this whole thing's been so wild and i i've just i'm kind of along for a ride i i don't know what to say after that but thank you jeff Thank you. Yeah, man, it was it was fun uh, being down there, and I honestly have no idea what I set up on stage because I had three speeches written that I had written uh, like two weeks in advance, and I've got them literally right here on this this legal pad. Didn't you but, change your mind right before you just went 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 for it, right? Yeah, and I, I took both of the the legal pads to Orlando with me, and I, I left them up in my uh, hotel room uh, because that morning. Uh, I'd gone to the gym about 3 a.m., went upstairs, showered, had to go find coffee because, you know, the resort, they didn't open up anything that had coffee until 7. I know. You're, like, up at 5 a.m., and I had to go walk down to some, like, diner to get coffee at 5 in the morning. Yeah, and so I'm walking around. It's, like, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm, like, I don't know where to go get coffee because I've never been to Orlando. I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> and uh, I'm walking down, and I see uh, William from the renaissance of men he's sitting down there on the patio by the pool and he's yeah. talking with jack donovan and say ah cool you know i've had jack on the podcast before he's pretty cool we're friendly I did a photo shoot with him and uh i actually sent him a text this afternoon because yesterday was his birthday but uh i went down there and i sat with him and next thing you know i'm chatting with them for like three and a half hours Zach comes down, Zach Small, and comes down and like, all right, well, we we, had, we were recording a podcast that morning, so we got to go get coffee and then get up to the room. But I was trying to not think about my speech, right? Because I, I don't like when I have, when I see someone speaking in public and they're reading from a script because <laughs> it, you don't feel it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought about having like eight or nine bullet points just written down. I was going to tape them on the back of the podium so I could kind of look over and reference it and flow into it. But at the last minute when it was my time to go up, I just, screw it, I'm going up. <laughs> and so I have no idea what I said, but I'm glad you liked it. I but liked I, it. it I, but I totally agree with you uh, that there are so many people there that were speakers that have different perspectives or from different walks of life. And that's kind of, you know, where, where I'm leading into with uh, why I had you on the show today. Uh, you are, like most of my friends, very devout in your faith. I don't think I have any 
any friends that are not devout in whatever faith there is. I mean, you know, my friends are imams, my friends are rabbis, my friends are Anglican priests or devout Catholics. Um, but so many people from different walks of faith, different walks of life, and they go up there and they're all sharing this message. And you start to see uh, a, a, a common denominator among all of it. Right. I, I, I like to joke with my friends who when we do all get together and we're all like this ragtag misfit group of all different you know, religious background that uh, everybody's the same religion. If you boil it all down to don't be a dick, <laughs> you know, as far as the moral code of conduct goes, if you boil it all down to don't be a dick. Yeah, you, you, we're pretty much all walking the same line, but I agree with you that people who went down there and they spoke and they were, you know, they come from a different background, different type of family dynamic, um, different faith. There was still something that they had to say that resonated with me, that I took home with me, that I took to heart with me. And that's where we're at in society is you don't, I don't necessarily have to agree with everything about this guy's lifestyle or about this guy's belief system or whatever it is. But that one thing that he said, I found value in it. So if we could you know, not fight as much and shut up and listen to the whole story, we might find that one little nugget that'll help us. Yeah, I think, um, so my perspective, the way I come at this is, I think God created the world. Well, I believe God created the world six days, rest on the seventh. And that there's a design to the world that's inevitable, that people can't help. Men are made to be men. Women are made to be women. There's things that are commonalities that exist across the globe, things that are irrepressible, that water finds its level. And so I think a lot of the commonality we see amongst religions or individuals really is just God's design. Where like, we'll take me, Tanner Guzzi. Tanner Guzzi and I have very distinct understandings of the Trinity, right? And they put us at, like, religiously at odds. Um, and Tanner knows that, and I know that. And we still like each other. Like, I respect Tanner. He's a good man. Um, and he loves his wife. He loves his kids. And there's a lot I can learn from him. And so part of the problem we are, what we have to manage right now is that we all what we all agree on is who the enemy is. We have a, and the solution we're not a hundred percent in agreement on, but at, and this is what I said, I think at some point in one of my speeches or, you know, it's all blurred down there at Orlando. Um, he, Anthony asked me to do three. I was like, I'll do two. I think I could have done three now. Cause I could have kind of done what you did. But um, at the time I just didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but um we don't all agree on the solution and it is part of a, a broader cultural conversation. So um, there's such thing as a common good that we're all working towards. And we can all agree that men be allowed to be men and not be ashamed for that. Women allowed to be feminine and not be ashamed for that family. Like you, you are a father of many children, just like myself. And, uh, and, and that children are actually a good they're not a liability. They're an asset. They're, 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 they're your future. They're a legacy. These are all things we agree upon. Um, now, the ultimate telos, right, purpose, direction of life, we disagree on, actually. And um, 
But see, what it means to be a man is, and this is hard for women to understand, we live in a beta, effeminate, malakoi would be the Greek word, culture. Men can beat the hell out of each other and be friends the same day. Like me and my friend Quinn, Quinn was the best man at my wedding. We got arrested together quite a bit growing up. I remember once we went to this party. I don't know how this happened, but we were drinking a lot of beer and we started fighting and I fought him and his cousin Brad. And they're littler guys, you know, I'm six one and I've always been bigger. And uh they're like beating my arm so bad that I have to go to the hospital the next day. I kicked Brad on his jaw. I kick I kick uh Quinn. You really are a Presbyterian. I kick Quinn and his balls, you know, so we're like teenagers. And, um, you know, I was before I was a Christian, I grew up a pagan Jew, but, um, but, it, but, uh, anyway, we literally beat the hell out of each other. And, uh, you know, like uh, Quinn's balls are sore for a long time. And I got my arm in the sling for like two weeks, but we were friends at night. That night we drank, we drank beer together and we talked about it. Now, women, I remember this. When we finally got pregnant with a girl, our first three were boys. We're pregnant with a girl. And I was trying to find a name for a girl with my wife. And I was like, how about Ashley? Nah, there was this girl in third grade. She did me wrong. Third grade? Yeah. yeah. What about, this, what about this name? Nah, there was this girl this one time that did me wrong. And you're like, what the crap? Women hold grudges, dude, right? They're like intense. And and so I think one thing that we got going on at 21 and that sort of conversation right there is that we don't need to dilute our differences and our disagreements. We don't need to act like all is the same. We can be men. We can beat the crap out of each other and still be friends. Women don't understand that. We get that. We get like, I can look at a man and say, look, he loves his wife. He loves his kids. He's running his house well. So at, at that base level, there is respect. Um, look at like Jack, like Jack Donovan and I have some pretty strong disagreements, but I had an opportunity to talk to him and I benefited from my conversation with them. And, uh, and I love respecting Jack. And I think, I think I have a better understanding of who he is as a man and what he's trying to achieve. Um, so I, I think what we have to learn to do is not be beta wussies, like let's fight and then let's shelve it for a night, have a drink. And well, I think that's to... part of – it's kind of like what I was telling you about the culture here, you know, in the South. Anybody that I was friends with, I, was, I always got into a fist fight with them before they were my friends. And it wasn't uh, like, okay, we're going to go fight them and see if, you know, they're good enough. It was just something that kind of happened. You know, oh, I heard this guy made fun of my shoes. Or, that's right. It's very it, natural. Something yeah. stupid for a third grader. Oh, that kid punched my little brother. I'm going to go whoop his ass now, you know. And just every single person that I've ever been you know, like an actual fist fight with outside of the random bar fight here or there, it was always this thing of, all right, him, me and my friends, we stepped up to him and his friends. We all punched them. And, you know, the five that the, the, the five people, three on our side or two on theirs or the three on theirs and two on ours that, never hit back because they got hit one time and ran away. Well, they're no longer part of this crowd because we can't respect people like that. It wasn't that we articulated it that way. I mean, we're like nine 
you know, we didn't articulate that, but the people that I fought, if they fought back or the people that uh, fought me, if I fought back, there was this respect that was just somehow biologically ingrained that was granted at that point because, okay, this guy stands up for himself. He could be a valuable member of our mini tribe of nine-year-olds, you know, if we have to go and kick someone else's ass. You know, it, it, it's hard to explain it, but that's really the only way I can. Any, any man who's listening to this knows exactly what the hell I'm talking about. Because it's a it's we friends if you've ever talked crap to each other busting each other's balls like you've seen me in person do with all of my friends and my brothers in the foe we give each other crap but if one of them for lack of a better word were to act like a little bitch he would always from that point on be the outsider Hey, this is Nate from Unlimited Live Concepts, and we teach people how cash flow strategy can be just as powerful as investing. Imagine being able to earn interest off of every dollar that flows through your hands, whether you're spending it or saving it. We offer a lifetime membership to our financial education platform for $77, but right now you can use promo code RUGGEDLEGACY and save 50% off. because he couldn't back it exactly i mean this is so i i'll give you a story so um i was a wussy all through middle school and in eighth grade was kind of the fulcrum the pivot point where i changed um but i slowly learned in middle school the ability to give and take a good insult mm-hmm. i mean i i love a good insult I love when people make fun of me and it actually stings. I think that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that one. There was a while ago. <laughs> Someone said, I look like the sloth from, um, from ice age. <laughs> I, you know what? As soon as you said it, I saw it. So there it is. I thought that's awesome, man. That's good. Um, now you kind of look like, uh, you know, a retarded clown. You know, like, like, I, like, I got, like, let's do this, let's do this, man. I wish you would eat makeup so you could at least be pretty on the inside. Like, yeah, let's do these insults. Let's go at each other. Yeah, it's like it's like respect. You know, like back, I grew up in the in the nineties, right? And so your mama jokes, like your mama's so fat that her blood types right goo. Your mama's so fat that she wears a answering machine like a pager. You know, your mama's so stupid that she thought a quarterback was a refund. You, Nobody you know, knows what an answering machine is, Michael. I know, right? But you, here's the thing is like the insults, they weren't real insults. We weren't really talking about your mama. And the dude that would get upset, like, don't you go talking about my mama, was he was the weakest of the bunch. He didn't exactly. get it. Exactly. He didn't get, this is us working out who's mentally strong, who's mentally weak. And the guy who takes what is just like a little playful jab and turns it into something very serious is uh, he's not a strong man. And, um, and so when you're a public personality, and you know this, people are going to like pick everything out wrong with you. 
Right. <laughs> and, and you just have to be able to laugh at it. Like, yeah, it's kind of true. I see what he's saying, you know, like whatever. Um, it, but, but beta weak dudes can't do that. They can't, they don't, they're so defensive. They're so weak because they haven't grown up with other men beating on them. And, you know, Chris Rock, one of his special comedy specials a couple of years ago, talked about the value of bullying, being bullied. Oh, yeah. Dude, being bullied teach you, teaches you a lot about human interactions, right? Like how to like carry yourself as a man. And so men, like we have a rough way to go. Like you have to know when someone insults you and it's time to take out your fists and draw blood. But you also have to know when sometime when someone insults you and it's time to laugh, slap them in their back and say it's funny. And also when it's time to test their shit test back. And that that is like real deep socialization that's very difficult to deal. And so people that are raised by moms and weak dads that are coddling them, they never understand the world of men. And so they can never be part of a functional organization because organizations depend on hierarchy. And hierarchy depends on the ability of folks to kind of press each other this way and, and know like I can just remember like making fun of a guy and him like insulting his back all hard and the whole group laughing on his face because he was so like you took it so hard. You're like, it's not real, man. It's not real. Yeah. Chill out. What's, you know, my wife uh, used to like she used to see that all of my friends and she still sees this. All of my friends, you know, guys like you, my brothers in the FOE, the guys that you know, I know around here in the neighborhood, I don't think my wife has ever heard me say a kind word to their faces. Like it is, yeah, it is always some sort of insult, you know, and my buddy John, you know, it's, I can't, I just don't understand how you do it, John. Well, what do you mean? How do you live life not knowing if your shoes match? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Those kind of things. And he's always you know, giving it back to me. And my wife's like, you guys are terrible to each other. I'm like, are you kidding me? We love each other to death. You know, that's, that's real male bond love right there. It's just how we express. I got this strange joke with one friend of mine. He's like a little brother to me and he's still single and trying to find a woman. And he's like, dude, you got to hook me up at some point. I was like, look, I got this girl. She's up in Cleveland. She's got a great personality. Now, the moment I said she has a great personality, dude should have known better. Yeah. And I was like, look, she's got a nickname. I don't want to, th- I don't want to throw you. She goes by fat Amy. And it was like, dude, you trying to hook me with the fat chick. I was like, she's got a great, great personality, man. Great personality. She'd make you scones in the morning, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's just, it's just how guys are. And we've lost that as a culture. And like I was reading Martin Luther, I was reading a book this morning, Popes and Feminists was the name of the book. Crazy book, really fun. And it it had some of Martin Luther's, um, Martin Luther was like, you want to talk about a guy that can insult people? Look oh, up yeah. some guys, guys like top shelf insults. And I was just thinking, man, there's no place for this in Christianity. I have to walk on eggshells 
when I'm with Christians and I'm about as orthodox as a believer as you will ever find, man. I, I don't deny any of it. I'm unashamed. I'm not changing anything for anyone. I don't care. But I'm also not going to capitulate to the feminism that has taken over the church. I'm not going to do it. And I, I can't deny that most churches are about as gay as a place you can go. A gay bar is probably more manly than most Sunday morning worship services in America. That's the reality of it. You know, I had a conversation with uh, our friend Adam Smith. Yeah. And I actually had a podcast uh, with him, and I called that one Giving Christianity Back Its Balls. Yeah, I remember you saying that. That's a good one. Yeah, and one of the things that we covered, now, you know I'm not a Christian. Yep. I'm about as pagan as they come. But what I never saw a grown man cry and people listening can take this any way they want. The fact of the matter is I never saw a grown man cry until I saw a Baptist preacher crying at the pulpit. Weird. Right. That was the first time I ever saw a grown man cry. Now, look, I'm not going to go down the road and say that grown men can't cry, but what I have seen and what uh, Adam and I spoke about was there is this overwhelming uh, amount of men who are leaving churches, whether they be Catholic, yeah. Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, there's an overwhelming amount, right, that are leaving churches. And it's most likely socioeconomic because they have to work on those days. But specifically in the Christian church, they're leaving because there's nothing there for them. Because That's the right. message is feminized. The message has become soft but when that ha their only reason that's happening is because of the socioeconomic pressures that have caused a lot of men to have to stay out because they have to work on those Sundays. The majority of a congregation was female. And I don't care who you are, if you're speaking to a group of men, and then the next day you're speaking to a group of women or a group that's majoritively women, you're going to speak differently. That's right. And so the message that you get used to spreading as a pastor and a majoritively uh, feminine congregation starts to sound a little more feminine and a little less masculine. And it's a little less, it gets less and less and less about, you know, righteous violence being a thing, you know, righteous anger being a thing, being right. a hard man that leads his wife and leads his family. They're no longer a thing because well, um, some of these women might take it the wrong way, so I'm going to water it down a little bit. And But what that does is it capitulates this problem where when men do come back to the church and they see that, they go, why in the hell am I here? Because they're, the overwhelming majority of the congregation is women, and the man standing at the front of the congregation is in no way, shape, or form prepared to accept the tongue lashing of a soccer mom, Karen, who doesn't like that he said, uh, you know, a wife uh, belongs to her husband, and, you know, or a wife shall submit to her husband. There's no way he's prepared to deal with a tongue lashing for that because all the next thing you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is going to freak out and throw him out on his ass. I mean, so there's a long saying that the uh, clergy is the third sex. And uh, that's that that goes back hundreds of years. I've never heard that. Yeah. So there's a great book I recommend to all your readers. If you want to like 
and, and Jeff, you should read this book. You'll be fascinated by it. It's called The Church Impotent, I-M-P-O-T-E-N-T, The Church Impotent by um, Leon Pottles. And I don't know if I agree with him 100% on what the source was, but he shows you how in Protestant evangelicalism, how how there's been a problem for many, many, many years. And I'm, so this goes back pre-colonies. This is, goes back to like 14th, 15th, 16th century. And um, I bet I bet Rilla Tomasi screws this up in his book on on religion. I don't care if anyone quotes me on this. I know so much more than Rolla when it comes to this stuff. It's not even joking. But um, but I think a lot of people understand that Christianity has undergone a pretty radical change in the last six centuries. Um, I blame it on bridal mysticism. So in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, they didn't know how to deal with it because Solomon and his wife really like sex and they like each other's bodies. And that made some people uncomfortable. And I just say, no, it's real. I like sex. I like my wife's body for whatever reason she likes my body. It's cool, you know. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will allow you to look out the window today. Um, but uh, <laughs> I will allow you to wear shoes in the kitchen when you're pregnant. Um, but uh, anyhow, they they were uncomfortable with that. So Bernard of Clairvaux, 12th century guy or 13th century, he he says that. It, it's it's an analogy between Jesus and the church. It's a metaphor. And so then this idea is that um, the church is like the passive lover, the woman, and Jesus. So it, then you start to think of yourself as, as Jesus' lover. So it takes on this sort of homoerotic thing, which is not very comfortable for men, right? We don't. That's not how we relate. We can relate to Jesus as a brother, you know, as a, as a warrior, someone leading us in war, whatever, but not not as a husband. And the reason is, is that the church is relates to Christ as a husband only in a corporate sense, not in an individualistic sense. So that happens. Then there's romanticism that comes a couple of centuries later that redefines what it means to be a woman, namely uh, for so. Believe it or not, in the 15th century going into the 16th century, women were seen as devilish. They actually, there was a, uh, a teaching that women's, uh, they needed semen to keep their, their uterus from drying up, and they would tempt men to get their semen. <laughs> and so there was this real low view of women that is kind of similar to what you see among some of the MGTOW guys that have been burned hardcore. I got you. So I'm not trying to diminish the MGTOW guys' experiences, but some of their some of their conclusions I would disagree with. So then what happens, almost like out of a sort of penance, they start to say that women are more angelic. So you actually will not find female angels in art until the Romantic period. They're always men. Then you start to find something, angels that are androgynous or female. And this whole idea that women are angelic and, and somehow closer to God. So then they come to prize feminine sensibilities as more spiritual. And, you know, um, men are very practically minded. And, uh, and so what we've seen is these things collide with a couple other things to create an environment where men walk in and they say, you know what? This place isn't for me. It's like when you're going shopping with your wife and she wants to get some lingerie or a dress. You're like, I'll come with you. But you're in the women's section. And you're sitting on one of those couches outside of the changing area. And you're like, hey, you done in there? You know, because you're like, 
<laughs> you know, like I love seeing my wife in underwear, but I, I don't like sitting in a woman's area watching other women shop for underwear. Like this place is not meant for me. This is not a masculine space. And sadly, most men walk in the churches and they think this place is not for me. It's not a masculine space. It's made for a soccer mom. And the sermons are, and the pastors are these kind of third sex, not quite man, not quite woman, guys preaching these very safe messages that are meant to engage the emotions and make people feel safe and comfortable. And men hate that. Men want war. Men want risk. Men want to be told when they're screwing up. If they're fat, they want to be told that they're fat. If they're broke, they want to be told that they're broke. And they want to be told, what do I do to change? You know what I mean? And you can't get that in churches right now. Yeah. And, and I'm trying and I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to change it. Well, I mean that's good. Um I think it does need to be changed. You know, going back to the origins of Christianity, you know, I, I'm pretty sure as someone who's studied uh you know the the history of theology throughout Christianity all the way back to you know Constantine who was basically a pagan his entire life until Christianity became mainstream. And then like a good businessman, he goes, Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian too, but for all you other pagans, uh, we'll, uh, we'll start incorporating some of these rituals so that you guys can feel included too. And, you know, he was a businessman, you know, he wasn't a true believer or anything, but Christianity came along as a way. And, and you know, this, when it, when it came along, it was presented as a way to civilize the barbarians that lived outside the walls. It was presented as a way to wait. You need to know, turn the other cheek, you know. And of course, that was always misinterpreted. And it was presented uh, as a way. No, you have to be more docile, more forgiving, you know, more this, more that. And it it was presented in a way that felt to the mainstream audience, as it were, which was the population uh, that was less than masculine. And it wasn't until you had the hardcore. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the hard for, like the, the righteous hand guys, you know, that came along, like your warrior popes, they came and went, no, God is a warrior, you are a warrior for Christ, that you started to see kind of the revamp up into, all right, I'm a, it, it takes strength to have faith in God, it takes strength to put myself through all of these trials and tribulations that God is laying before me, and I am a man of God, yada, 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 it took a while to get there, right? But then again, you had the mass audience starting to feel a little uncomfortable with that. I mean, I'll tell you the truth is that I'm not so sure that Constantine is what a lot of people say, having read the primary documents and looked at it pretty closely. And a good church history on it would be uh, Nicholas Needham's church history is what I'd recommend. It's hard, to say, it's, it's hard to say whether he's a true believer or not. Here's, here, I'll give you an alternate view on it is that I honestly think that feminized Christianity looks back on people like Charles Martel, who's the grandfather of Charlemagne, known as Charles the Great, who's basically the last true um, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. He was like the last of the Merovingians, wasn't he? <clears throat> That's exactly right. <clears throat> and so Martel, Martel is crazy. So Martel's his grandfather. So basically Martel's son turns out to be kind of weak. His grandson's like a beast. Right. And Martel was known as the hammer. And so he was the guy that drove the Muslims back uh, Battle of Tours. So the, la the last time the Muslims tried to um, take uh, take over Europe in, in a military fashion, uh, Martel drove them back. And 
and I don't know what happened with Martel's son, but Martel and his grandson, they were like beasts. And it's really interesting when you hear people, they look at it, they interpret them as if they only are Christians in a socioeconomic sense, right? That it was um, politically advantageous. And I'm not saying that those people don't exist throughout history. They certainly do. And we, we've met people, we all have met people that are Christians. Like I know a lot of people that are Christians, they go to churches just so they can do their multi-level marketing campaign, right? <laughs> they want to, <laughs> they want to sell people Plexus or something. Um, so without a doubt, those people existed throughout history and at various levels. But I think maybe what's going on is folks have a hard time believing that warriors are, could be a Christian. And so, and, and and when you get to someone like Constantine, Constantine was a warrior, right? He saw the cross in the sky, and that's why he converted to Christianity. There's similar stories like that throughout early church history. And I think we we need a return of that sort of warrior mentality in the church, you know, because we're going into an age of instability. There's no doubt that America is moving towards probably balkanization. America will probably break apart. We'll have to have large level immigration with inside our country where people move because right now it's the city versus the rural area for the most part right. so that, makes, that makes civil war and break in the breakdown of society extra complicated <clears throat> but over time i do think you'll have concentrations and we'll see some sort of breakdown unless there's some sort of crazy revival reformation or political movement but i i kind of feel like donald trump's the last gasp before these liberals um, are able to wiggle their way in. We'll see. I, I'd, I'd love to be wrong. Um, but um, all that yeah, to say, I don't honestly think that there's going to be like a great fall or, you know, anything. No. if anything, it'll just be like you said, more of a mild balkanization of society. It, it's I, like an old car, right? Like the old car doesn't break down overnight. It's like this thing falls off and, yeah, and that thing falls be, off. You know, one little vote changed this and one little vote changed that. And it's going to be the, the, the underwritten bylaw that was in the legislation that means that now this is something different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think romanticizing the big great fall and living in the apocalyptic wasteland. It's, it's all fantasy. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to happen that way. I mean, it's not, it's not outside of the, the realm of possibility. It's happened before in history, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Um, I, I really what I've been urging people to do is find a city. Well, what I think the future is, is city States. Um, mm -hmm. uh, kind of going back to pre nations where before you had like, you know, uh, a United Greece versus Darius or Xerxes or whoever, um, you know, Spar you had Sparta, you had Athens, whatever. And yeah, eventually you had, they you had Athens. You know, you had that's right. And so I think we, what we really need to do as a culture right now is find an area where we have some level of influence that's real. Um, you know, more Spartanburg's not a bad area, actually. Um, where Don't be sending people here, man. Don't be sending people here. Come on. Well, they all can move to Batavia. That's where I'm church planning, and that's where I'm going because I think that's a place that's close to a major economy, but also outside the meddling hands of a large centralized government, not perfectly outside, but, but some distance, some critical distance. Um, and I think we're going to have to, the thing is what unites people is a centralized mission. And yeah, 
diversity is only good when it prevents incest. Outside of that, if you can move your family to a place that is more or less filled with people that are similar in your base value system, you don't have to agree on every little thing, but the base value system that, you know, whether it be hard work, self-independence, entrepreneurship, self-reliance, small government minded, whatever that may be, it, you know, we used to say that people were breaking up into cliques and tribes and all this other, you know, back in, you know, yesteryear when before there was a United States and we had the warring clans that would go to war with another clan. But those clans were most, most often based on ethnic differences. Now we're going to see these clans spring up that are more based off of ideological differences. So ideological tribes are what you're seeing spring up in these online communities coming together like when you have the foe you have the liminal order you've got you know all these small little groups that are coming together and everybody's from different backgrounds ethnically but there's a base ideology and value system that's in place that everybody can see eye to eye on and i think that's what you're going to see is people separating into regions that do that yeah i think i think you're right and <clears throat> so it's something like the 21 is a necessary forum of thinkers where what was really fascinating to me about 21 was all the conversations I had with fellas in between the sessions, you know, and, um, and a lot of these guys are seeing the same things that I'm seeing that are concerned about the stability of the nation. Cause, cause we have, a lot of us are fathers, right? So we're, um, we're concerned about our children and who their children are going to marry and the society, the culture they're going to live in. That's like a big, you know, a big deal to us. We, uh, the thing is you can stack all the bullets, all the beans you want, build the world's greatest bunker, but that's all about survival. That's not about thriving. And yeah. so what's the future for your children? And that's, and, and so that was some of the dialogue that was happening um, along the sessions that was more fascinating to me um, and I, I really appreciated. And so I, what I want to see is a church centered community where the church and state are distinct. You know, I think the church and state are different institutions and I think the church can tell the state they should rule in a righteous way, but they're not the same thing. So I want to see that because I think that brings that central mission brings clarity to it, obviously, because I think God's made us this way. Um, but right now we're in the middle of a conversation that's ha that's happening and um usually when people say conversation that's some liberal nonsense you know like they don't they're not really having a conversation they just mean talk and never you know gk chesterton used to say mm -hmm. that an open mind uh, open mouth is like an open mind you open it to close on something you know yeah and so i think a lot of us are trying to like we have open minds we're willing to hear each other out and and this is a real conversation, but it, it has an end at some point. Some of us will say, you know what, like you, and we can hang out, we can go bowling together, we can go hunting together, but we really are of two different minds outside of that. Yeah, that we, we, can, we can be diametrically opposed in our core belief system, but I will still trade with you. That's right. And so, and, and, that's, and that's, that's exactly what's happening, like the degrees of unity is what I think we're like determining and happening. And so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm coming to these groups and I'm learning and I'm benefiting and I'm finding out who do I, 
like what level of um, like-mindedness do I have with somebody? And they're like emanating circles on a bullseye, you know? So there's people like, we're like, man, we're like so much alike. And then, but it, it moves out more and more. And, and so we'll have those level of relationships. And I think we need to be able to have the honesty to have those things and not become wussy relativists because Buddhism and Christianity, I'll tell you right now, not alike at all. I've studied them. I know the eightfold path. I've read all that stuff. I know my Bible inside and out. I can hang. Not the same. Doesn't mean that I can't connect with the Buddhists at some level. And so, but, and thankfully I didn't run into any Buddhists at the 21 convention. But, um, but this is a sort of conversations we're having. And I think they're mature conversations. And that's what I like about where the manosphere is right now. There's been some talk among some folks I know how the manosphere is dying. And I told my wife, I should write an article on it. Um, and it would be like three paragraphs. It'd be the shortest article ever until, until we have a complete revival of fathers, the manosphere is not going anywhere because men are going to look to other men for inspiration and help. And, and sometimes you get inspiration and help from your neighbor and your neighbor is freaking different from you. Right. And, and so you can borrow sugar and eggs from some neighbors, from some neighbors, you can get good marriage advice. And from other neighbors, you can get advice on what it means to be a follower of God. And we're all kind of figuring out our levels of neighborliness, but we're still committed to one another. Yeah, well, it's all coming up, you know, to utility, basically. Each member of a tribe, and whether they be a large spread out tribe or a close knit tribe, whatever it is, each member possesses some sort of utility that they are useful for one particular reason. I don't, I'm not friends with uh, you for the same reason I'm friends with, you know, Jimmy Bob over here. You know, you're not a part of my group for the same reason that they are outside of you provide value and you add value to my life. And in return, I try to add value to yours. But the type of value that you add is a different completely different type of value like you were just mentioning with the neighbors this neighbor over here provides me value of food because he owns a farm this neighbor over here over here provides me with inner peace because he acts as my confidant when i'm having a hard time it's still a member yeah. but the utility that they provide to the tribe is completely different and that's what i think we're seeing with the uh, quote unquote manosphere is that <laughs> yeah more people are seeing that there's not just one avenue, right? There's not just sure. one way. You know, I can't go to, like, I go to AJ Cortez if I need fitness advice. Sure. All right. I go to guys like uh, Adam if I need advice that only a, a, a licensed therapist would be able to give me. Right. I go to, you know, Josh Lysek if I need writing advice. Mm-hmm. each person has their own utility and the majority of us are all completely opposed in our core beliefs as far as you know uh spirituality religion things like that but ultimately we're all providing value and we can i think the manosphere is coming to the realization it's not dying it's morphing it's coming to the realization that people can get that one little nugget of value out of an entire paragraph of something that means nothing to them 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I went down there and I stood in front of those high def cameras, and now I'm looking at all the pictures that Anthony's posting, and I was like, I can lift lots of weight. I'm strong as a mule. Just like- <laughs> A lot of fat on that body of mine um so i went ahead and told phil foster your foe brother i said all right phil what i gotta do to get in the best shape of my life and uh it was so i'm starting on a journey with phil foster um because he helped our friend tex you know do that and he had oh, yeah. and zach and um and I, I'm just happy to be part of the conversation and talking to people. And what I think what I like about kind of this um, loose community is it's just so manly, man. Like I don't it's have a to community pre- of nomads. I don't have to pretend like I agree with someone when I don't because I'm going to hurt your stinking feelings. No, and, we're like, okay, cool. And, and yeah, we can back off a little bit. And I really feel like, you know, Phil's going to make me better. And do I want to convert some of the people at 21 to Christianity? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on a mission. I'm a missionary, man. But, you know, this was a conversation we we're going to have. I think we talked about a little bit is that a lot of life is learning when to push, when to pull and when not to, when not to act. Right. And learning like what's the right place for it. When to make a scene. Sometimes sometimes it's right to say, no, no, I'm not down with this, you know, and but that that sort of nuance, that sort of like strategic wisdom is formed amongst brothers. And uh, and that's what so many people are missing. Like the biggest blessing of my life is that I have incredible friends like um, when people are trying to cancel me, you know, the job that I work. I work with friends and they thought they stood, they, they had my back. Right. And, uh, because I made a bunch of single mothers mad a couple months back. And, uh, well, when I say a couple 13,000, but, um, I had like 13,000 comments on one of my statuses. It was, it was pretty wild, but, um, but I've got a lot of good brothers and fathers in my life. And, and so what I'm excited about is having this conversation and see where it goes, you know, like there's, there's a overlap between all our messages. That's, that's cool. And that's, that's good for everybody. I'm really excited to see where the sparks fly. Cause I think that's where we'll all grow. And I'm glad to be in a place where sparks can fly and we can just snooze it for the night and be friends the next day. You know, yeah, that's good. because we're men, we can do that. I mean, my, one of my closest friends, one of my closest friends is not a Christian. And I was like, it was funny. I, I called him up and I said, Hey man, I, so I converted when I was 17 from atheism and he was the best man at my wedding. And I don't, I don't think I even talked to him before my wedding about it, like straight up, like, like had to sit down. So I took him, I called him up. I said, look, oh, we got to talk. So it had been years. And I was like, I, I got to tell you why I'm a Christian and why I think you should be one because you're my friend and I love you. But I was scared too because he was like, I mean, we got arrested together. We went through a lot together. We got arrested a couple times, I think. Um, but, uh, and then he, he was like, he appreciated it. I remember he told me to stop watching pornography. He's like, I remember him telling me when I was 17, hey, man, you're a Christian. Christians can't watch pornography. And I was like, dude, get off my back. He's like, no, 
if you're gonna do this, you gotta be for real. And, and see, I was like, great thing about brotherhood is I was like, you're right. So I stopped looking at porn because yeah. my non-Christian friend was like, if you're gonna do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, you know that's exactly right. But you know we're coming up. We're a little over an hour now. And uh, before we wrap up, I know you you I want to promote this. Uh, you run a men's group, so. Give me the five-minute crux version of the men's group Tyrannus. So we. Uh, so it's called Tyrannus Hall, Tyrannus and Hall. in the Book of Acts, um, the Hall of Tyrannus, uh, Paul rents out to teach Christians and week to week. And so we wanted some biblically based name that wasn't super lame. Um, so that's the one we came up with. So what was happening is folks were like asking me to do cons- consultations. And I would do them free. And my wife was like, you can't be giving away all this time free because we're valuable. Your time's valuable. But then I had a real hard time like setting a price. And I don't judge anyone that sets a price, whatever. Um, but so I tell people like, look, you, uh, you set the price. And people were like paying me 150 bucks for like 40 minutes of talking. And I was mostly just telling them really common sense things. And I was just thinking, man, I'm so busy. I don't want to spend like the money's nice, but telling people like common sense things for 150 bucks. I don't want to do that my whole life. Right. I get that. Uh, um, I was like, if I, I know a ton of men, if I put them in the same room that would walk this guy through this. So we, we realized that there's a lot of Christian men in particular that don't have a, a masculine community to be part of. And that they're obviously willing to pay money. So we, we went and looked at FOE and looked what you guys are charging, what you guys are doing, and looked at a couple other groups out there. And we kind of struck the middle and decided we would allow 100 men into Tyrannus Hall because we think we can manage 100 men. We've got facilitators we can do with that. We're at like 42 right now. It's $35 a month. You got to pay 105 up front. And you get a forum. We do monthly talks. Matter of fact, not month, uh, weekly. We do weekly talks. But Craig, Craig, let's see, what's his online name? Let me keep it straight because I know his real name. James. Craig James is going to be on there this Monday talking about dad bodies, dad bods. That's this Monday. And so we do these uh, sessions where they listen and then we, we do like an interview and it's like our podcast. But we also allow um, Q&A that never, that's never aired. And uh, we give a lot of people resources, all my Sunday schools, all anything I write that's related to manhood or womanhood or parenting, I just give everyone in that group free. I just give them my notes and let them do whatever they want with it. And nice. so, so it's really cool, the group of guys we have. We've got a waiting list right now because we're, we don't want to let everyone in at once. We only let 10 people in a month uh, because culture eats strategy for breakfast. We want people – to be integrated and we want to add people because people come in, man, and they're like, tell you all their problems. And some of their problems are really stupid and you can only have so many stupid problems at a time. And we sort people out, we help them um, because they don't, they don't know how dumb their problems are. Like what I love about dumb problems is they're pretty easy to fix, but um, I don't know if you're tracking with me, but (laughs) anyway, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, that's what we're doing. Tyrannus Hall. You can go to it's good to be a man.com slash Tyrannus Hall, or just go to it's good to be a man and you'll find, or email men at it's good to be a man, or find me on Twitter at this is Foster. That's where I'm most active and I can tell you about it. And anyway, 
I really appreciate being on the podcast. I like, I like what you do, Jeff, and I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. You know, when we, uh, when I first reached out and, uh, you know, said, you know, let's, let's have you on the podcast. We had talked about how, you know, we're, we're very different uh, as far as our point of views and faith. It was like we discussed here on the podcast, but, mm-hmm. you know, the way I look at it is if I can't have a conversation with someone who's different than me, I'm not worth much. So Amen. I enjoy I enjoy getting alternative perspectives because I always take something better away, and the majority of my guests think really, really differently than me, and I think that's uh, the best way to go about it um, because we can all we can always have dialogue, and if we can't have dialogue, then you know we're just a bunch of animals screaming at the wall. No How many knows. clean shaven guests do you have? If you're clean shaven, you're not allowed to be. <laughs> this, nice. this goes for women too. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, brother. All right, guys, that's going to be it for this one on the Rugged Legacy podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy your day. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash rugged legacy and click on the support icon. Thanks for listening to the Rugged Legacy podcast. And remember, everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire.